Hello and welcome to episode two of Rank Up, a monthly on-page SEO podcast where we talk about technical SEO, content optimization, search engine news, and much more. I'm one of your hosts, Ben Gary, and I'm joined once again by my regular co-host, Ed Wilson. How are you doing, Ed? Yeah, good, thank you. Just uh, getting used to this uh, working from home lifestyle. I'm currently eating a lot of cereal. (laughs) And yeah, just adapted to it, really. Working at one of the nicest workstations I think we have in the company. (laughs) Yeah, I've um, fully embraced the setup, so I've currently got three screens on the go, so it's looking quite well for me, to be honest, but like I said, it's... um, quite weird time so um yeah it's good i guess just to get back onto this uh, podcast and discuss everything seo and you know what we're currently dealing with yeah make sure that we get a bit of normality in there and chat about some regular seo as well as everything that's consuming the news at the moment uh and of course you can follow the news on one of your three screens and then do some more seo on the other one and have to <laughs> <on> <laughs> exactly and we are also joined this month by our monthly special guest, uh, Olivia May Fung. How are you, Liz? I'm good. I'm good. I I think spending your I mean spending the quarantine in my joggers recording a podcast is exactly how I want to be spending this lockdown. <laughs> like I don't know if you guys saw that meme where it was like I don't know who needs to hear this right now, but you don't need to start a podcast. I would disagree. I mean, this is a great way to spend time. There was also there was also something that I think Helen, who's another one of our colleagues, sent me about all of the all of the twenty something white guys who have decided to start a podcast at this point. <laughs> 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 like, oh, so seen. Yeah. 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 yeah, that's hit me hard. Yeah. I would like to say that we did decide to do this podcast before the pandemic. <laughs> um, not that that's much. Right. You know, yeah, yeah. We just wanted to make sure we got at least one episode out there. <laughs> recording remotely from our microphones rather than sitting around a table and being pressed on this with um, proper equipment. Uh, but we still wanted to bring you this month's episode and we're doing everything we can make sure it, uh, to make sure it sounds as good as possible. So yeah. Thanks Ed. We will do our best um, and hopefully it's only a couple of months that we have to do this. And I think it was only about a week before we went into self-isolation that Ed and I were talking about getting another microphone and improving our <laughs> setup that we had in the office and probably a good job that we didn't bother spending the money on that before we uh, before we all got packed up to go home. <laughs> but we will keep things going as normal for now. Um, so before we do anything else, um, we want to give Liv a chance to introduce herself properly uh, and share a little bit about herself. Um, so Liv, would you be able to just tell us a little bit about what you do at Impression uh, and what your career has been so far to bring you to this point? Yeah, sure. So I'm Liv. And I've worked at Impression for now over two years and I'm an SEO executive. So I manage a few of our like legacy clients in their organic visibility and that spans across like sports and fashion and things like that. And then also I play a supporting role for our strategists and specialists for a few of like our bigger accounts of like the household names. Um, before I moved back to the Midlands and joined Impression, I actually spent around six to seven months in London at a PR agency. And I think just it, it really just wasn't for me. Like I, I just thought like my skills were more, they just lent themselves a bit more to digital. So when I heard about Impression, I packed up and moved back 
to move back home. <laughs> you just couldn't stay away. No, I couldn't. <laughs> well, Liv is going to be talking to us uh, in a lot more depth about a range of topics later on as kind of our main segment for the show, um, including kind of why she got into SEO, um, what the last couple of years have been like, and also some of the things that she does now at Impression, because Liv is involved in a few different things day to day. Um, particularly relating to uh, Google updates and algorithms. That's one topic we want to chat about um, and just anything else that comes up really. Um, but before we get there, uh, we have one of our more regular segments to go through, which is our top stories segment, uh, a roundup of some of the, the news and views articles that we have seen um, on Twitter and elsewhere over the past few weeks. Um, unsurprisingly, uh, a lot of the articles that we've picked up for now are uh, coronavirus related. Um, this episode is due to come out uh, in the first half of April, so we anticipate that all of this stuff will still be highly relevant and very topical at that point. Um, if you are listening to this in the future, uh, a few months down the line, hopefully um, the, the worst of this has blown over by then and you've returned to something like normality. Uh, and if that is the case, um, feel free to skip past some of this, although we will do our best to try and make what we talk about relevant to as many different situations as possible, not just uh, everything that's going on at the moment. Uh, but I believe, Ed, you're down with the first article uh, and live your article ties in. So maybe do you guys want to just summarise what you've got and then we can break it down a bit? Yeah, sure. Yes. Cool. Um, yeah, so this article is actually from Search Engine Land, and it's, it poses with a question, question on reducing digital marketing due to COVID-19. Um, it touches upon a lot of questions regarding analytics, paid, ac paid activity, even venture into other marketing channels such as email. Um, but I wanted to kind of focus on the SEO side of things to do with this, and I think Lib's article also touches upon like Google's um, advice for how to deal with the current situation for businesses online either they have a brick and mortar store displayed within an organic search or their you know specific organic presence within yeah google search i think it's quite an interesting one because we've seen ourselves certain clients being affected by it whether that be yeah. the decline of search demand or actually the increase of search demand but although those clients that may have an increase in search demand they may still be affected due to maybe logistic reasons of, you know, the factories being closing or anything like that. Um, I think there's a lot of good commentary in this article and one specific quote from Nick Eubanks, who um, I know is the CEO of From, from, the, Forge, uh, from the Future. We also, uh, I think he runs the Traffic Link Blog community. Uh, I just want to read out his quote. He says, I personally believe that companies that continue to execute on their planned digital marketing campaigns and more specifically, on their planned content and conversion strategies around SEO as an acquisition ch channel will be poised for faster recovery when we come out the other side. Um, I thought that was yeah. quite a, a good quote in terms of what you can be doing in the meantime. Um, so for example, when this does pass and um, at least you will have that backlog of action that you've been you know, investing in your, on your website, whether that be really valuable content for your users, you know, building that authority from a content perspective targeting the right keywords so that when that search demand does come back, you're hopefully going to be highly visible and able to, you know, attract traffic where potentially may, may other companies or your competitors may have, you know, cut that, that uh, resource uh, from an SEO perspective. Sure. Just a quick question for both of you. Um, I guess based on what you've seen so far 
and kind of what this article is saying, or that Nick Eubanks comment, um, Nick kind of said there, uh, companies continuing to execute on their planned digital marketing campaigns, specifically planned content and conversion strategies. From what you've seen so far, how much would you say it's important to stay like business as usual um, versus maybe looking for some other opportunity, particularly if you're in industries where um, the content that they create or the kind of the expertise that they have has the potential to be a bit more dedicated to the situation now. Like how much would you recommend kind of changing things up and um, altering your strategy based on what's going on at the moment? Yeah, I think it's, I think there's going to be three, well, kind of three core areas or really. I think the first one would be actually addressing the situation. I don't think you should ignore it at all. I think you should be creating content that hopes to help your users in whatever way they can so that you know you are actually addressing the specific issue at hand. Um, as you mentioned, I think there will be the short-term gains that you can certainly see. So, for example, with the reduction in probably ad spend, there will be further... Um, option, there will be further opportunities to actually be more visible in organic search and attract yeah. that traffic from there. So that will be the other area that I'd focus on. And then I think like exactly what Nick's saying here is actually also have a, a vision for the long term so that knowing that when this does pass, there's going to be those long-term objectives that you want to meet, but let's try and put a strategy in place, you know, at least not 100% of the time should be going into this, but at least an area should be of executing, you know, or delivering a certain structure on the website, whether it be specific content around the topic or, you know, hosting new content, um, yeah. whether that's be related towards long uh, long tail keywords or really specific to your service keywords, and just sure. looking to execute on that. So I feel, from my perspective, they would be kind of three core areas that I would look to focus on. I think it's such a tricky one because. Like, you, you don't want to come across as if you're being insensitive or just a bit tone deaf to the situation. Because I, I'm sure you guys don't have, you don't spend as frequent amount on fast fashion websites as I do. But I've, I've, <laughs> I've just, I've seen like from different ones, like I won't name any names. Like, there's one that, sell, that predominantly focuses on selling shoes. And like, they had a new category page and like email marketing around like working from home and like how you need a new pair of shoes for that and like it was like things like it was like like low heels and kissing heels and things like that and it's like I completely understand and acknowledge the need to say if you are an e-commerce or even the lead gen side to say on your front page like you know we're open for business still we're still taking orders things might be delayed but in a way that you're still being sensitive to the fact that, you know, people we're, go- we're going through a pandemic, you know, people, unless necessary, aren't necessarily wanting to buy things that much anymore. And especially it might not be some of the things that you serve or your clients serve. So yeah. it's about thinking of ways to, you know, address the situation, but then not come across as if you're being insensitive, like whether that's creating content that like long tail content that focuses on the situation, but in a different way that serves your customers more, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, guess, I guess the good thing about SEO though is from a landing page perspective, we're not that invasive as social media advertising. So for example, if we are in say, for example, investing in content on specific landing pages or areas of the website, we're not really forcing that down people's throats as like Instagram ads or yeah. Facebook ads or anything like that. Whereas at least the way 
the content that we're creating or you know the pages that we're looking to serve it may be that the search demand is not there anymore but we're still like trying to improve the performance of that so when that search demand does come back we're able to attract that traffic and we're not in a position where we're going to be sending like really like you say live like tone deaf messages like like purchase really like focus on renewing memberships or anything like that whereas actually we're gearing for the the recovery of the world i guess and making sure that when you know the search demand does come back that we're in a position to attract that rather than be like quite quite invasive with our messaging yeah definitely. So on on that one question for both of you um we were just on our kind of one of our internal chats before we came onto the recording here um pete who was on last week or not last week sorry last month um raised a question for one of his clients where they're in an industry where the client is still open and they're kind of they they're making products out of a warehouse but they're able to do so in a safe way and you know they believe it's fine for them to keep their staff in and keep fulfilling orders but it seems like their main kind of search competitors have shut down uh, and pete was asking the question of us kind of is it worth trying to capitalize on that in in the search results themselves by sort of changing the page title or meta description and kind of yeah. emphasizing the fact that you're still open which i suppose on your point ed is yeah. it's not invasive because people are still searching for it but it is maybe a bit more on the nose than yeah. just than just optimizing a landing page by sort of conventional tactics where where do you both sit sit on that if pete was asking you that question individually what what would your response have been mm, i think from an aesthetic point of view I would see, I, I don't know, like, I think it looks a bit, like, spammy. Mm -hmm. I don't know, like, I think if, I, I get the reason why you would do it, but maybe there's something else that could be done, like, maybe some FAQ structured data, like, are you guys still, like, questions, like, are you still delivering, like, are there any delays, and, like, putting that on the homepage? Yeah. That's an interesting yeah. idea. Yeah, I think also messaging around um, giving them confidence in the order as well so making sure that you are taking all precautions with the packaging um yeah you know there's um the the employees of the company you know hand wash or whatever they they're using the yeah. necessary precautions to stay open i think having that you know temporary content that sits on the page could be important but yeah i feel like anything where it gets to the point where you're using it as a sales message may be a just you know i, I don't think that sits right with me personally yeah, yeah, you've got to be very careful with it if you are going to attempt it, because yeah. people we like we have seen businesses being called out where they've got it wrong and kind of potentially having a longer term impact afterwards if if people believe that businesses aren't treating their staff well enough during this period as well. Yeah, definitely. I think like I think what a lot of maybe businesses are forgetting at the moment is that you know we don't fair enough we don't know how long this is going to go on for, but what we do know is that it is going to end soon, and there's going to be just a surge in consumers that are either wanting you know to spend their money, buy some clothes because they're finally allowed to go outside, or go to a restaurant that was closed, or or like go do an activity that they weren't allowed to do a few months ago, and you know everyone's just going to remember like were they the one were they on the good side or the bad side? Were they the ones that treated like their employees right, or were they just still like just trying to push sales in like a just kind of insensitive way. So it really is yeah. just like towing the line really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah very tricky. Um, speaking of speaking of difficulties, Liv, do you want to go on to your article as well, which kind of touches on 
um, Google's guidelines and what Google's doing for, for businesses at this point? Yeah, so this article that I found was another one from Search Engine Land, and it was about how Google have now temporarily disabled local reviews. So it means that people people aren't allowed to submit reviews anymore, but it also means that pe- um, business owners, well, local business owners, aren't allowed to uh, reply back to them and even like new Q&As aren't being allowed at this time either and I think it 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 does show like I think some good in what Google are doing here because you know if I was I was reading it and I was thinking oh well what what's this going to do but you know if you put yourself in the shoes of like a local business or an independent business that maybe the priority right now isn't for them to be replying back to reviews or say, for example, someone, God forbid, if someone in a business got sick and like if people were just leaving like malicious reviews on their on their shops or on their websites because like, I don't know, like spreading misinformation, say maybe if they caught something or if they were ill after frequenting a place. So it, it, it is good. It shows that Google are looking out for the smaller guys. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good thing. Yeah, I didn't think of it like that because I just thought of it as people showing up to a, a store and then um, leaving a negative review because it wasn't open or anything like um, with that. But I didn't even think about actually they should be prioritising other actions rather than you know I know it's like customer service is important, but they shouldn't be. They should be prioritising like the health of their existing uh, staff and you know regulations around how they can deal with this rather than spending time looking for yeah. Like, if you think... Oh, sorry, Ben. Oh, sorry, I was just going to say, if, if people are furloughed as well, like, if you've got your marketing team is furloughed because your business isn't operating, they're not allowed to, to work because you're doing anything, and they would normally be the people responding to reviews, like, e- even if it's, a, like, a legitimate bad review from maybe a time before, um, kind of from a visit before all of this started kicking off, but that would be your marketing team's job to respond to it, and they're all on furlough, then... What can you do? You're just left there with this negative review that's bringing your reputation down while you don't have the people there to do anything about it. Yeah, I mean, that was pretty much that's hit the nail on the head of what I was going to say, to be honest. It is so in sync. <laughs> <laughs> like this audio. <laughs> <laughs> the wonder of modern technology brings us all together. <laughs> um, speaking of the wonders of modern technology, can we talk about the future of e commerce? That was awful, wasn't it? I mean, it, it, it is related to all of that. I think we're going to touch on the themes that have come up already in, in both Live and both articles. But one of the first articles that I read, um, I think probably maybe in the first week of working from home, um, was from Luke Carthy, who is a SEO expert and writes a lot of good stuff. Um, and he wrote this article called My Thoughts on the Foreseeable Future of E-Commerce, which came uh, pretty pretty near the start of a lot of social distancing and lockdown. So for a couple of weeks on from when this was written, but I think a lot of it was still holding true. And he covers all sorts of things in the article. We're not going to have time to go into all of them here because it'd probably be a show topic all on its own. Um, but he covers sort of the, uh, the difficulty and importance of CRO, which is something that I know CRO in general is something that you've looked at a lot in the past, Ed, um, and how this is making experimentation different, but making changes that encourage conversions are critical while your traffic might be down. 
but also the way that you make those changes might be different to in uh, in a normal period. Um, he also talks about other things that we've already discussed, like addressing coronavirus head on, avoiding cheap shots, um, all of that kind of stuff. But I think what's more interesting maybe to get to chat about now is where he talks about um, identifying opportunities and moving into different areas. So there are a few sections in there. There's one called Be Ready to Accommodate New Customers and Demographics. Um, as people who maybe weren't shopping online before start shopping online more or start shopping online for products that they wouldn't have bought online uh, previously. Um, also about paying close attention to internal search queries to see what is going on on your site, um, which I think is, is an interesting tip that can be probably used more widely than it already is in general. Um, and then also he goes into the trends uh, in e-commerce at the moment and the different sort of products and product areas that are becoming popular. Um, which, again, is, is interesting for now, because if you do have the ability to, to focus on certain areas, it's probably wise to do so. Um, but again, it's worth considering for the future, um, even in a normal period of business, how, how do you go about identifying opportunities and pivoting from one thing to another? Um, so there's loads of good stuff in here, and the link will be in the show notes, uh, as always. Um, it's almost tricky to know where to start, but I suppose if we go if we go to the top and just kind of put things point by point, um, in terms of CRO and I suppose the general kind of things you can be doing on a website uh, at the moment, what what kind of things would you guys be prioritising right now? Um, I think it, again this maybe relates to your your uh, proposition of, of several things, but um, again I will be looking. From a, if we were looking to connect SEO and CRO up, I would always look to you know verifying through um, your data set, so reviewing your Google Analytics. So I'd pick out um, in the short term from a conversion rate perspective is if you're trying to connect SEO, um, well organic traffic and CRO quite closely, is look at your landing pages within Google Analytics, um, filter it by organic traffic, and actually see the conversion rates from these. Um, if it's likely that they were in a high position, um, so maybe like quite a broad term, then yes, conversion rates would be lower. But I think it will hopefully highlight certain landing pages within organic search that don't convert too well, that you could yeah. focus on either making the content more relevant or making that transition to the content from the purchase or anything like that. But hopefully that will be able to connect um, CRO and SEO a lot more closely by actually reviewing your organic landing pages, uh, reviewing it by the top traffics and understanding which are the poor performing uh, pages within organic search and then looking to address these head on and um, that should hopefully help in the short term as, as specifically so yeah again it'll, it'll be addressing the big hit pages that maybe aren't doing it quite well for your, your website at the moment and i suppose you can dig down into individual pages and look at how it's changed over time as well if you're interested in finding the opportunities for right now or trying to understand what works then you can see are there pages that the conversion rates have dropped more than others um, in the last couple of weeks of march or whatever um, and yeah. other pages that have maybe risen more. Um, mm -hmm. Liv, what kind of things would you be, uh, I know it depends on the industry, but what kind of things would you be looking for or recommending that clients focus on at the moment in terms of getting, getting stuff on the site? I mean, from, like, just if we were looking at e-commerce um, websites for as an example, one thing that I would be really interested in seeing for some of our clients is just doing another heat map analysis. So yeah. I know that we do it, 
we, well, we, we've done it a few times. Well, I've done it a few times for some of my clients. I'm sure you guys have done as well. But I think what would be interesting now is seeing like the metrics for things that don't normally get that much traffic, like delivery pages, customer service pages and things like that. Because I think now more than ever, users, are go- before they even um, spend any money or put an inquiry in, they want to know that, one, is the business open? Is someone going to be able to... Um, respond back to their inquiry form or and then secondly as well if it is an e-commerce site you know are they or are they open full stop uh what is it is it going to be delayed what's like what's the point in paying for something if it's not going to be delayed and if it's not going to be delivered until the end of the lockdown and like things like that I think I don't know if you guys have noticed but if you go onto like the boots website sometimes now there'll be like a queue of like 20 odd thousand people just trying to get on now, just because obviously people aren't going to want to go outside and like buy their toiletries and stuff. But a thing that they're doing, which I find quite interesting and fair enough, you could say it is because they're seen as like an essential business, but their front page now, it is solely to do with health. And it's it's all the, the top banners are things like updates from the CEO, uh just updates on deliveries even if they haven't got anything new to say it's about addressing those fears that a consumer might have before they consider purchasing from you whereas especially like I think I think it's really good that you know if we have banners in place for our clients to tell people um to tell users that they're either still in business and stuff but you know just keeping them in the loop like there's just something to be said about that yeah, Boots is, I'm just looking at the website now, it's actually a really good example of um, the kind of things you can get on the site at this time. So they've got this repeat prescriptions delivered for free without leaving your home at the top, which is, I guess that's quite a good example of um, giving that trust and letting customers know what you can do without it being seen as a cheap shot and like trying to um, sort of uh, take advantage of this of this environment. And then similarly, they've got advice on coronavirus, uh, service updates really clearly linked in the middle of the homepage uh, and some of the stuff they're doing around COVID-19 testing. Obviously, Boots is in, a, is in a fortunate position in some sense because they're an essential business that is able to provide a lot of critical services right now. But the, the, I think the way they've gone about it and the way they've set out the homepage and their messaging is, is pretty on point. Yeah, I think also with what Liv mentioned earlier about you know, us taking notes of maybe companies that aren't doing it well. I feel like people that have, say, for example, people that aren't now interacting with websites that they previously haven't purchased through and, and now getting a good user experience from, you know, these websites educating them on the process, it's going to help them from a long-term perspective because these people are probably going to be repeat purchasers, uh, well, repeat customers in the future because they've had a good experience and this website looked to help them in their time of need and then they're more likely to come then revisit this website you know down the line you know after this is all yeah cleared up yeah that's a really good point so just as the final kind of thing on these news topics then looking at opportunities uh, ed i know you've done some stuff with uh sort of general opportunity analysis and kind of supporting the team on that at the moment and Liv, i know we've worked on clients where there have been particular opportunities to kind of um, produce some coronavirus-related content without, hopefully, without being opportunistic about it. Um, what advice would you both give to companies, either now or in the future, uh, looking to identify new opportunities to move into and take advantage of changes in the search demand that they're seeing? 
Yeah, so I guess from my perspective, something, again, what I've been working with uh, a few clients most recently is um, this is with a client that is geared for SEO for the long term, so they but they also need to understand the quick win opportunities just because the search demand has gone, but there yeah. are still searches for their like, products or areas that they, um, they specialise in. And that, w again, would be looking into um, keywords that uh, maybe just outside the organic click-through rate in terms of high numbers. So I mm. think using some kind of keyword tracking software, um, hopefully that you have, or just manually searching and identifying keywords where you know you are sat out of position three, uh, the top three or, or the top five, and then picking up these specific keywords and then looking to prioritize these these general areas that thinking, hang on, if I move them by one or two positions where the majority of click-through rate does go to, we hopefully see a significant impact in, tra in traffic. I think that yeah. was generally a consideration for all SEOs, but I think if you are struggling now with search demand, I feel like it's not worth investing in, um, you know, an area, well, investing in trying to rank for a keyword or a, a, set, a you know, general theme across your website that will have an impact in three or four months. Yeah. Um, again, it would purely be dependent on, on the investment in SEO that you do make, but I feel like it'll go a long way if you're able to invest in um, the keywords that are just on the, the cusp of greatness, I guess, in terms yeah. of just outside that organic click-through rate. Uh, by improving their position by one or two, it could probably make a significant impact in terms of uh, um, organic traffic. Yeah, that's a really good point. And Liv, how about you? What kind of... Um, what kind of stuff have you been doing to find uh, some of these new topics and opportunities that are coming out at the moment? So I think for one of the clients that me and you both work on, Ben, it's first about if you're planning on producing content for your client's site relating to the outbreak, it has to be it has to be relevant to them because I think none of us, especially as SEOs that are hoping to work with businesses for a long period of time, you don't want to be pitching an idea to them and then to come across like we were saying, like a bit insensitive or just tone deaf. So, you know, for the client, um, for one of our clients, you know, if it's a service that they can like lend themselves to and be an expert in that, then by all means go ahead. But then from um, an SEO perspective when you're actually creating the content I did find that you know using your typical like third party keyword research tools didn't really help so yeah. I mean that because of how new everything is at the moment relating to coronavirus there is no search volume around it so yeah. what we've found to be like really useful is like google trends even like you know getting the um reports from PPC I'm going to sound really bad now because I can't remember the name of those reports <laughs> I think it's like um, the search query reports where people yeah, where yeah. that PPC send over um, like having a look at those and actually seeing what people are searching now rather than trying to justify it to the client about search volume because it, it's just too topical at the moment yeah. yeah and I think that's really good advice for it doesn't have to just be coronavirus right this could be for any kind of topical thing or really seasonal thing where search volume is a good metric but it doesn't work for everything yeah definitely and it's really important not to be like it, it slaves to search volume when there are other ways of finding out what people are talking about I don't know we've uh, we've spoken to Saffron who helps us with digital PR on one of our accounts um, and she's been getting loads of loads of sort of journalist requests through and has been really good at providing insights on what kind of content journalists are looking for which is again kind of an indirect window into what the general public is interested in 
Yeah, definitely. So yeah, I like your uh, slaves to search fund. <laughs> <laughs> I want that on a t-shirt. <laughs> might be a bit extreme, but you got to make the point. <laughs> cool. Well, there is clearly no shortage of stuff that we could be talking about right now, but um, I think everybody is getting a little bit sick of hearing about coronavirus 100% of the time, um, and we don't want that to be the main focus of this episode. So um, while it's important to cover it, um, we do want to talk about some other stuff um, that is sort of relevant to the SEO industry more widely and just cover some different areas. Uh, and the first way we'll do that is with our main segment for today's show, which is interviewing Liv. Um, and we're going to talk about a few different things. Um, but Liv uh, has got some particular sort of uh, insights to share on coming into the industry within the last couple of years. Um, I suppose the three of us on the podcast have got um, kind of quite different experiences coming into SEO at different times from different backgrounds, um, with Ed sort of being in the industry for, for a while now, um, <laughs> being, around, uh, being around a little bit and at a few different agencies. Um, I sort of came into it as kind of my first real digital marketing job and just kind of learned it on the job. And then I think Liv came into it potentially with a bit more of an idea of what it was than <laughs> I did. Um, so we'll, we'll start there and then we'll talk about some other parts about what Liv does now because she's got some really cool insights um, into some other aspects of SEO, like kind of getting a job at the moment um, and looking into Google updates and algorithm updates. So plenty to get on with. Um, I'm going to stop talking in a minute. Um, but Liv, to kick us off, um, I suppose my first question that I've got down is why SEO? Uh, what was it that appealed to you about SEO and made you want to give this give this career a go? Um, so I think the first bit to start off with is about why, before I looked into SEO, I was in a traditional PR role. So I was like a fashion and beauty assistant at um, a PR agency in London. And Though I enjoyed it and though I think I learned so much about people and I learned so much about um, just communications in general and I learned, I learned a lot of like client skills in that role, yeah. I remember thinking, you know, we'd get emails pretty much on a weekly basis about how, you know, a load like publications were either closing down or they were consolidating into one, things were being bought out and I remember thinking, I was like, I feel like my skills do like lend themselves a bit more to like a digital role mm-hmm. so I remember so then I saw it was it, I remember um I saw the job on the impression website and there was there's a there was a freelance consultant that worked at the agency that I was at previously called Manel she's great I'm gonna shout her out but and like um I remember I, I did say to her I was like you know I'm really looking to get into digital marketing but I, I don't know which bits for me. I don't know whether I want to do SEO or PPC. And then she was, and then she was like, um, so we went out for a coffee and she was like, no, I think that your skills really lend themselves to SEO. And she was giving me like a really like top level overview because she is like a beauty and wellness um, comm specialist. And like she was saying like, you know, you've got the, I think the skills that you have lend themselves a lot more to an SEO role than PPC. So at that point I was like, yeah, go on then. I'm giving my best go. Because <laughs> like, at that point, I was still like, I, I, I must have been like 20, 21. And I was just like, yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, give it a go. Yeah. I mean, so not to put you on the spot too much with it, but I felt really sorry. My stomach hurt. Um, when you talk about having the right skills, like, the right skills for SEO as opposed to PPC or whatever, what, what do you think 
it was that pushed you in that direction? Like, if you could try and put your finger on it. Probably, uh, like, probably, like, my content writing skills and things like that. Um, Probably as well analytical so being able to like look at a data set and then at the end of it come out with a recommendation or try and relay that to somebody that isn't technology technologically inclined and show them what it means for them yeah so yeah yeah, I think it was it was a mixture of both really yeah I mean SEO is so broad anyway isn't it the the people in SEO have so many different skills I mean even just the three of us on this all have quite different ways of working and different skills that you bring and that's, that's all part of it yeah, yeah I think, for sure um, I think how it has evolved as well basically describes how SEO works um, because so for example I got into the SEO industry because I worked in building websites and that was from more of a technical encoding standpoint whereas mm. I feel like now SEO and that was the case of again just popping up websites and being you know it used to be quite minimal in terms of ranking for a specific keyword in terms of and now what Google actually looks for in terms of the range of signals yeah. whereas now I feel like everyone that gets into SEO comes from a complete, you know, it can be a variety of different backgrounds and it's not just the case of now it's um, web designers or developers, it's, you know, people that have studied English or, you know, people have studied um, psychology or something that, I think it basically describes the way that Google's algorithm is that there's so many more yeah. signals towards ranking a website now rather than just being able to put a page live that targets keywords and you're able to assess different things it's now actually a more diverse set of skills and that basically is explained through you know again the people from different backgrounds education backgrounds now getting into the industry and it's purely because that's what you know is required to rank mm-hmm. and you know gain organic traffic yeah, Liz, is there anything from your sort of university background that you still draw on with SEO, or has it kind of all faded into the background since you've been working with it? Um, I would probably say the only thing that I've probably carried over from my university is like the random time that we did a SWOT analysis about our team. <laughs> like, other than that, I don't really like. I think definitely that there's um, a merit to going to university and you know. Um, getting your degree but you know there are people in our team who are like who didn't have to go to university to do it like there's Paige for example where she like worked her way up within an agency and then got to where she is now so I mean not particularly without completely slating my university degree <laughs> it's a it's a life experience isn't it? yeah definitely but I, I mean I ask you that and you know you help me out a lot with this you speak to a lot of university students and one of the big Sort of challenges going into a career is like what what skills from uni is actually going to be useful um, and what things are gonna like should you really be paying attention to and, and kind of really trying to build while you're at uni but it's tricky because so much is unique to, to where you work and where you actually start um, and kind of once you start getting some experience you realize that there's so much you kind of just have to learn on the job yeah for sure like even with SEO like I remember when when I first started out as an analyst at Impression when I would uh, like write some long tail content for clients you know writing it in the same way that you do an essay is completely mm. different to how people read things online so even that was just like a massive learning curve for me and I'm sure it was like the same for most people like starting out in the industry yeah yeah it definitely was for me um I think like because I did English 
um, definitely one of the challenges for me starting at impression with, I was given a lot of content writing to do straight away as I think is probably the case with you as well Liv yeah um, and you do like you come in thinking you're a decent writer and you probably are a decent writer um, but then like you kind of get into it and you realize that like, every client is different every type of content you need to write is different and and even now like Google is good enough to pick up the differences so you really do have to get it right yeah like it's not so oh sorry no I was gonna say it's, I, I personally find it a good challenge um, but it is a challenge yeah it's like not so much oh are you a good writer it's more so can you adapt yourself to different clients voices and stuff and like even we've I, I've, I've had few had to have conversations with clients before where they've said you know don't worry we've got the content you know we, we've it's from our leaflets and stuff and I'm like no because that is completely different like the things that yeah. people read on a leaflet is completely different to what they're reading on their smartphone when they're walking about like trying to find somewhere yeah, I was on a website the other day looking at garage doors of all things. Story <laughs> broken, RIP. Uh, but yeah, like they had brochures on their website and they didn't have service pages or product. Well, they had some product pages, but they didn't really have much else. And to get any sort of information about their products, you had to read these online brochures in PDF forms, and it was just a nightmare. I hated every second of it because I was just like, "You're right, Liv. The way you could, I was, sometimes I was on my phone or on the computer, but either way, the way you." that information is just so different to like if you're in a showroom flicking through a brochure um, and it was just awful and I ended up giving up and just saying for them to come around and give me a quote in person so I couldn't be bothered <laughs> to read through the brochure. Just with so, the, um, yeah. from the content perspective, I guess with all marketing roles you need to really immerse with yourselves with the clients, but especially from a content perspective, do you find yourselves that when you're, you know, day to day at the weekends that actually you always at some point reference to you know a specific industry that you know loads about just because that you've been working a specific sector on a client already yeah an embarrassing amount of the time yeah <laughs> it's especially worse like you know like I, so in my I've I come from like quite a large family like three older sisters and like they were all very loud and say if the conversations um goes to something like I remember once it like so it was about coffee and like where like how like the first flat white or something and I remember oh, when I'd written like a long tail piece of content for one of our clients about this and I, I remember like trying to like edge my way into the conversation like no this is the facts I've written something <laughs> about this but uh, like no one was just like listening to me so surprisingly it doesn't really do much for my like quiz knowledge or trivial pursuit which is a bit heartbreaking. Yeah. You never know. We got uh, yeah. we got a company trivial pursuit remote night coming up on Friday, and maybe some of that some of that niche knowledge will come in at long last. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> um, we we could go off on a tangent, but <laughs> quite quite heavily of all the things we've come across. But um, I wanted to bring it back slightly to when you came to SEO from your previous agency. So I think this is where we can maybe help even sort of people who are working with uh, with SEO agencies to get a bit of an understanding or people who are considering an agency role who might not have had one before. And um, Liv, for you, what, what's been sort of the biggest changes coming into an SEO agency at Impression from your previous experiences working uh, for the PR firm? Um, so I would say the first thing would be, um, just from like a really general perspective, like at the PR firm, it was like a lot of running around, doing errands, like um, like packaging up samples, things like that. Whereas like it's quite nice to have a role where 
feel like you just sit down and that's you for the day um I think as well just like surprisingly it was like the technology that I had access to coming into an SEO role and like thinking to myself I was like wow is this this MacBook for me (laughs) and things like that and like um just also yeah it was basically like the technology and then like have it was like just a more typical I don't want to say typical office job but do you know what I mean rather than you know going to get like coffee for someone or like more regular yeah yeah I suppose like one of the one of the main differences one of like the main differences I I saw was like um especially at impression um you have a bit more uh, visibility towards your clients so I think in in some traditional agencies or where there is a bit like there's quite hierarchical structure that you know the the interns and the assistants aren't seen they're, they're kind of like in the background whereas I found it really I found like I learned loads by within like my first couple months having to have comms with clients that impression yes. because you know I, I learned even more so I learned more about clients than I think I did yeah yeah so what, what kind of things when you talk about the things you learn in those first few months what did you find fairly easy to pick up and what was it that you found kind of harder to get your head around? Um, I mean, the easy, the things that I found easier to pick up were probably, it was content writing and then getting my head around like the feedback, that was pretty easy because like yeah. it, it was just, you know, acknowledging the fact that you've come out of uni and it's completely different to like working world. Um, the other thing I found, I really did find like technical stuff quite difficult. And like, I remember like back in the day, just even like going on to analytics and just being like, what is this? Or like screaming frog and things like that. But yeah, yeah, so, but then also like before the PR team expanded into the great thing that it is now with all the specialists and stuff, like when the analysts and execs would um, support the PR specialists and strategists, like getting in contact with the journalists, it wasn't, I I wouldn't say it was easy because outreach is one of the most like soul destroying tasks I think out there, (laughs) but it didn't, I wasn't as heartbroken as maybe I might've been if I hadn't had the experience before of a journalist being rude to me. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> because I I remember just thinking to myself, oh, it's fine because a journalist has been rude to me in person before. They can't get to me through a screen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm safe. You can't touch me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the bits that you found maybe a bit harder to pick up, like technical SEO and some of the more niche areas. Do you do you find that you did did you enjoy learning them or? you enjoy them now that you've done them a bit more or, or were there parts of the job that you just generally found quite difficult and and just kind of a bit more like you had to, to sort of persevere with at least at the beginning if anything I probably found them more enjoyable than I, I don't want to say more enjoyable than content writing but you know the fact of being able to learn something new in like an environment like impression where you're not going to be berated for the fact that you don't know how to do a technical audit on your like on your first month um and like being able to like ask questions when I wanted to like it did like I love like you know doing things like writing up um schema markup and things like that but I think when the more I became I think when I was a few months ago 
um, I would think about my technical experience compared to like content and backlinks. I think that, you know, it was really subpar. It was something that I really needed more experience on. And then now um, progressing a bit more and handling things like a site migration where I'm the lead on it and stuff and realizing like the little bitty tasks that I've done for the technical specialists in our team, like actually all like mold together. And I'm like, oh, it's not actually like this massive, scary thing. So I think that's another thing I would say to anyone like listening to this, say if you've come from like a background like similar to me where your skills, where your your initial skills in SEO lend themselves to like content writing, maybe outreach, things like that. And if you're a bit scared of doing technical things or you don't think it's for you, like it's just what it's just you just got to give it a go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think it's just I think it's just important not to be, um, I guess put off or if you are going into you say for example a business people that be an agency or an in-house environment and not being disencouraged if you don't know stuff it's the case that it's new and exciting and that actually you being in an environment where everything is new is you know super beneficial for uh, super beneficial to you because you can just basically act like a sponge and just absorb absorb information and just know that it's you know benefiting it's 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 the worst situation if you're going into an environment and you're being taught stuff that you already know and that everything mm. makes sense because then you're not, you know, effectively learning. It's good to, that you know that you may be finding things difficult. Um, whereas actually, if you're picking up new skills every day or learning new techniques every day, that's like something great and that's something that people, a lot of people find quite motivating and you know interesting. Yeah, definitely. So. Liv, you've been account managing now for for a, a while now, um, and you, as you mentioned at the uh, earlier in the podcast, you uh, manage a few different accounts and support on a few more. And um, what have you sort of picked up since you started account managing specifically um, that you maybe didn't realise before, or didn't have the chance to learn until you started actually leading these accounts? Um, I think the first thing was that I was like petrified of sometimes speaking to clients like you know the whole like I remember there would be times where I would get Chloe my line manager to like check through emails and it was literally just me being like hi were you through for a call at this time or things like that and like it's just like remembering that they are people as well and I think especially when you're quite junior and like you're you're like Ed was saying like you want to be a sponge and you want to absorb as much information about SEO or your specialism as possible and like getting sometimes I found that I would like get myself like so lost in that and then not and then forget the fact that my client was someone that didn't know anything about SEO and perhaps they didn't care about the ins and outs of it they wanted to know how that's going to affect their website and how that's going to affect leads yeah absolutely I, I definitely have seen the same sort of thing. You very quickly realise what's important and what's not once you start speaking to clients. Yeah, and almost like in a way where you would try and justify being quite junior and being an account manager by um, going through the ins and outs of SEO or why you've done a certain task or how you did it. And it's like, you know, they don't care if that's come from Ahrefs. <laughs> like, yeah. They just want to know how that's going to affect them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like the, the results kind of bit of a cliche but it's true yeah and, uh, when uh, when you're kind of looking at strategies and stuff now what what kind of activities to, I suppose to go into maybe slightly more of the kind of nitty-gritty of SEO uh, what, what kind of activities do you tend to look at and what kind of stuff have you found 
maybe more impactful uh, and the kind of first priorities that you have when when looking at the sites that you work on? I think as a given, what I'll do first of all is just do a crawl. So screaming frog crawl, see if there's any broken links, like just general health checks in that respect. But then also having a look at search, um, looking at their search console and like their top landing pages and seeing if the queries that people are searching for match up to your targeting. Yeah. Like for me, so that checking through that as well and making sure that, you know, people are get perhaps if there's really high impressions but really low clicks for a certain page, maybe the intent's wrong and then looking yeah. through and like so maybe people are searching something that is completely different to what you're trying to serve. Yeah. I mean that's that's definitely a challenge with any sort of newer client, isn't it? Making sure that the way they actually talk about their product is the way that people are searching for it. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think in like the idea of, you know, when you start out in SEO, especially like, you know, the things the bread and butter tasks that you learn about like keyword research and things like that, you never or you don't realise until further down the line about intent and how it can be so different. Like there could be two keywords that you know, on paper they or on page they look the same, but they could have two completely different intents. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we know that. Well, you, this is kind of coming on to our next topic, but you know, kind of better than a lot of people how how much Google has been really zeroing in on that in recent years as well, right? Like they're they're getting much better at it than they ever were before. Yeah, definitely. So going into that side of what you do now, because this is something that we were really keen to um, to bring up on our call with you, um, you are part of uh, the Algorithm Committee. <laughs> Nerds. Um, <laughs> can you just say a bit about that? Um, what, what is it, um, and how did it come about, uh, and what do you what do you do every month with that? So that's me, Georgie, Hugo, who are also SEO execs at Impression. And we essentially handle anything that's to do with Google updates um, within the team. So the first thing that we ha- we do and we manage are stat alerts and Google Analytics alerts. So um, for anyone listening, stat is like our enterprise keyword tracking software tool. So and then analytics explanatory. What we do with STAT is that we set up alerts to let the account manager and one of us know if their top 10 Google search um, keywords, if their top 10 keywords fall by like 10% in 10 days. So for us, that would be like an indication that they've like quite vastly dropped off. And then also if um, organic performance on GA was down 50% week on week. So on that respect, so it's just like, whilst we're also keeping an eye on whether or not algorithm updates have been rolled out, you know, keeping an eye on like our clients' results and making sure that one, hopefully they've not been impacted and two, if they have been impacted, that we're the first ones to tell them. Yeah, I think that's the really strong point, isn't it? It's that if that we are in a situation that a client has been impacted, at least to the client to ensure that we're proactive and getting to them first and looking to adjust the potential issue as soon as possible so I think that's really strengthened our client relationships in terms of monitoring that everyone has this in place across their accounts and we're pretty clued up to with performance if say for example it is down week on week or yeah and and educating the client as soon as possible if that's the case. 
what else do you do to keep on top of uh, Google Updates? Are there any sort of uh, news sources that you tend to look at or, or areas that you'll look to find what's been going on when you're kind of reviewing the state of the industry? So we all, all of us in the committee, it sounds so official when I call it the committee, <laughs> but um, we all have like Google and Talkwalker alerts set up for like algorithm updates, Google algorithm updates, things like that. And then we just have like a nice little chat um, where we just like share uh, blog posts throughout the month and then at the end of the month we'll write up the most significant industry updates and then Beck who's like our UX designer she she created like these nice visuals of like traffic lights for us so what we do when we write these blog posts is like we'll um, rank them based on like green everything's fine carry on as normal just making you aware orange you probably want to have a look at this at one point and then red is like um yeah <laughs> so, so, stop pay stop pay attention and things yeah. like that and then all sorry just what what kind of things would qualify for each category i know it's quite broad but what what sort of thing would you classify as a you really need to pay attention to this versus a sort of business as usual but just kind of interesting to know uh, so probably say for example if what i would consider like an orange update would be if Google were to change like title tag and meta description character counts again character counts again so that would be like an orange like okay maybe next month we should spend some time like reducing that or making them making your metadata a bit bigger a red would be like a core algorithm update like that would be like you know check your check your GA every day check search console every day just to make sure everything's fine things like that to leave it yeah uh, have there been uh recent changes um that you think are worth mentioning now because not not everybody um is able to keep up to date with seo news day to day or, or even sort of week to week so for, for people listening if there were some headlines from maybe 2020 uh, if that's not too broad um, and i'm not putting you on the spot too much with that just just kind of the, the key things that you would want people to be aware of at the moment um i think what would be I know it gets it's quite a controversial subject impression, but you know just keeping an eye on EAT, not being a, like a slave to it, but you know making sure that people are all like that your team and like your clients are aware of this as a theory, because I think in the past year of me being at impression, like that was something that um, we had to wrap our heads around and then like inform our clients about it as well. Especially Can you explain that a little bit more if people are hearing EAT for the first time um, or haven't really come across it before. What what's the sort of core concept there? Yeah, so EAT it stands for expertise, authority, and trustworthiness, and it's essentially a rating system that Google's quality raters use when they're assessing websites. So mm -hmm. they'll be looking on websites for things like tr like trust signals, like if they're e-commerce, like easily findable. Uh, customer service details if they're creating content like are they authoritative figures in that an example would be like when you search a long tail query like uh, that's health related you're more than guaranteed to have healthline as the featured snippet yeah. or at least somewhere in the top four positions and that's and when you have a look at them um, they've always got someone medically reviewing their content all the time and then things like that 
so I think so when there was like that core algorithm update in it like it was like June or May 2019 we saw a lot of our clients that were in the your money your life sector so that clients where their websites would directly impact someone's financial state or their well-being like we found that there was their SERPs were quite volatile because of it so like, you know, letting the client know that it's not just down to any more like, you know, keyword ranking or, you know, how optimized is your site. But like, you know, looking at it with that slight human element, like say if someone's going to go onto your website, trust that if they're going to spend money that they're not going to get fobbed off. Yeah. So it's, is that how you would communicate with the client? Like if, particularly if you've seen a site that's been affected or, or what you think has been affected by an update, because obviously we can never 100% Say you're fairly certain it's, it's coming to play. Um, how do you go about communicating with that to your client to kind of help them understand the situation and take the right steps going forward? It really is a tricky one because, like, um, Google are quite apparent in saying that the their quality raters don't affect the algorithm. However, but then they also say that their feedback affects the al- or influences the algorithm in the same yeah. way that. If someone were leaving reviews for a restaurant, that might influence someone's decision. So, and then you know, if you have, you only have to search like EAT on Twitter to just see all of the um, debates about whether or not EAT is a ranking factor or not. But if I were to like explain this to a client, I would probably use like the Healthline um, example, or even when me and Ben were in a pitch the other week. Um, just saying to them, if you search coronavirus on Google now, you're not going to just see any old website for the next 10 pages. It's always going to be either a national publication or an academic site or a .org. Yeah. 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 Sorry, did you have something to say about that? Yeah, I was just going to go into from you know, what you can obviously what you've been working on now. And I guess sat alongside with you where you've been working on e-commerce websites and I guess the recommendations that we are making are hitting those things that Google are saying you know would impact EAT so like you said around like delivery information and things like that and I think just Ben something that we touched upon last podcast with Pete is that these recommendations are things that just go you know even above SEO in terms of actually they're really good you know from a a CRO practice that hopefully content that you're delivering more to potential users so that they're more likely to you know shop with you or you know engage with you as a business um it's hopefully these trusted ones that not only could impact organic performance because maybe you know it has a huge algorithm well huge impact on google's algorithm but actually it's going to benefit your wider traffic uh, in terms of you know their actions on your website yeah it's good to get out of that seo only bubble isn't it yeah. and eat is one of those things that definitely goes beyond just pure on-page optimization. Yeah, I think if anything, it's just added to when we are making recommendations. I mean, I think if a website has been specifically impacted by an algorithm, um, say for example, when EAT starts taking came out with the birthday update, I think yes, it needs to be specific areas of the website need to be reviewed in terms of like authorship uh, reviews, um, certain information, certain information that Google says does have an impact. But I think just moving forward it's just the case that each task or each area of the website that you're working on you have that EAT in the back of your mind 
mind and making sure that doesn't reflect, you know, just mm. So I was going to leave this question to our final section where we have where we have a bit of a Q&A, but it's definitely relevant now, and I think we'll just ask it to round off this section. So, uh, Liv, you can go first, but then, Ed, you can chip in as well if you want to. It comes from uh, our, one of our directors at Impression, uh, Aaron, um, who always likes to, uh, or every now and then, we'll start a bit of a debate in our internal SEO chat about what's been worth posting on and what's not. He definitely likes stirring the pot now and then. <laughs> Um, but I think it's a, it's a relevant question that we're talking about. So he asks, uh, how important is focusing on algorithms uh, and kind of adapting to algorithm updates versus, I suppose, what he's called in inverted commas, good old SEO, as in just making great content and building powerful links? Yeah. I mean, to that, I would say that you can do both at the same time. So uh, we're not necess- when you say focusing on algorithms... Or chasing them like I wouldn't spend a day or maybe more than an hour like looking into an algorithm or researching into it it's genuinely just one of those things that I think SEOs need to keep an eye on yeah. I mean I think we're quite lucky in the sense that because as an agency we're surrounded by people of the same specialism as us so more more than likely if a core algorithm update's about to hit someone's going to share that with us whereas I think for someone say if you work in-house with a small team or if you're literally the only SEO in your company it's just like checking search engine land or you know checking Twitter every day maybe having those talk walker alerts set up just so if something kicks off you are aware of it not necessarily spending hours on it but I think when you think about EAT and like the you know the general recommendations that come alongside it like uh, that mer- that really extensive like Marie Haynes blog like when it comes to like authorship and things like that shouldn't that coincide with great content because yeah. you know you could spend hours writing like a really in-depth piece of content but if that's just coming from live the SEO versus you know thinking Oh, surely like the director or of who whoever your client is should be the authorship and you know putting those signals in place surely that can't can't that like coincide with it yeah. and I would say I think I think that's a really good point but also say for example when they announced the mobile update coming say two years ago which coincided with um, more of an emphasis on page speed say for example you did have a client that that uh, the responsive uh, website wasn't great or they heavily relied on, you know, serving MDOT websites and Google was given these warnings. Say, for example, you didn't take, you know, action from there or you didn't prioritise your client of, of adapting towards more of a responsive nature, ultimately you would have suffered. So if you didn't, you know, quote, I'm air quoting here, chase the algorithm in there, you would have suffered um, mm. because you wouldn't have adapted to Google's pre-warning of going, look, we're going more mobile first. Um, we're giving you, you know, a year or two's notice to adapt your website or your client's website to make sure that it is geared towards uh, more of a responsive nature. Whereas that is, you know, aligning yourself with what Google is, you know, effectively looking to release. Um, so I feel like from that perspective, it would be a case of you are looking to suit your websites to Google's algorithm. But then, yeah, I guess there is a sense that you should obviously, be prior, you know, focusing on good SEO that impacts your your client's website and looks to actually attract users through you know actually good quality content but on the other hand as well if you're working with a client that may have been 
impacted by, say, for example, um, uh, an algorithm that came, say, for example, three or six months ago, and you weren't working from them with them in that in that period, yeah. you can get a lot of information from reviewing, you know, the decreases in that section. It may be a certain area of their website. It may be specific pages. So I think you can learn a lot from the impact of those uh, of algorithms as well. So I feel like. I hate to say it depends yeah. <laughs> but I feel like there is an element of chasing the algorithm if people are giving you free warnings around again yeah. mobile or pay speed or more technical uh, technical advancements with their yeah. um, with their searches but also actually if you're working with a new client that's been impacted um, say six months or a year ago by an algorithm you can actually learn a lot of what Google actually you know downgraded or you know decreased in search yeah, I think that was a that was a nice and detailed. It depends answer. Covered <laughs> quite nicely, I think. Um, like, yeah, it's good to be wise in how you approach this, and like straying too far to one extreme over the other is likely to land you in trouble. Yeah, definitely. There's a difference between being agile and then just chasing the shiny new thing. Ooh, yeah, exactly. That's a great little quote. Finish <laughs> the section on that. Cool. that. So that was that was our main segment. Um, but we, we've got Liv for a few more minutes, um, so we've got uh, a couple of other things we wanted to do before we get to the end of the show. Uh, and the first one of those is to introduce a new segment uh, called Rich Results, which we hope to be, uh, which we hope will be a recurring segment in future shows. Um, but Ed, can you just introduce briefly what we're looking at here? Yeah, so on this episode, we're going to be looking at powering up e-commerce websites. So we Lovely. spoke to um, Liv for, for the podcast, and this was kind of her chosen uh, topic area. So we've got a specific website that we're going to uh, discuss, and I believe uh, Liv is quite a fan of. So um, <laughs> yeah, this is just a chance for us to look at high-performing sites and creative SEO campaigns that lead to e-commerce success. Um, and this specific website is um, Gymshark. Uh, I guess Liv do you want to describe why you picked this website or anything? Yeah, so I've picked the website just because, you know, when you think about them from a marketing perspective, you always, or at least I, um, what I always do is, like, you always assume that people are discussing, like, their influencer marketing because they are the people that really capitalised on it when, you know, YouTube and influencers were the brand-new shiny thing and not just, like, the old beast and drum. Like, they were, they basically made their brand based on influencer marketing but what I found really interesting about their about their SEO was what they did last year for their Black Friday sale right. so do you want me to go into a bit more detail yeah, about yeah, if you, it if you provide a bit of background and then we'll dig in on sort of the SEO implications and whether or not it was successful yeah sure so on the run-up to Black Friday, they what Black what Gymshark did is that they removed the e-commerce functionality of their site, but they kept all of their products and the reduced dis, uh, prices on display for users to browse. Right. So, I think that was just really cool how they did that because I think they from from my knowledge of just being a general like consumer and fan of theirs, like they'd always have issues in the past because they've got such a big fan base where the server would crash, people would get angry, and then it'd just be like a bit of a social media nightmare. But instead, you know, by being able to, you know, remove the e-commerce functionality, one, it gives that warehouses a break because they can actually plan. And then it also staggers the amount of users that are actually on the site because they can, um, you know, prepare, have, browse through, see what they actually want. 
And, yeah. you know, if we go back to the conversion funnel um, or the ADA model, whatever you want to call it, they, in line with other things that they were doing, like producing like actually useful content for their users, you know, they were, they were having blog posts up where it was talking about what time the sale starts in each time zone, actually useful FAQs on uh, what would happen if you were in a queue to pay, um, size guides, shipping delays, general things like that. It's actually going ahead and keeping people in the interest and awareness and desire phase so they know what they want to buy, they know that a sale is going to be on, they know that it's going to be discounted, they know, they've been given all of the information that they need, the last thing that they actually need to do is purchase and then they did it all at the, so they they had everyone ready. Mm. It's a really cool idea. Yeah, it is super cool. Where where we want to chat about it from the sort of the on-page SEO perspective for this podcast is um, we we've got a couple of graphs in our show notes that we're kind of referring to here from search metrics and Ahrefs, which are two of the tools we use. And just thinking about like as cool as it is a marketing perspective, how do you think it was for SEO? Um, did it go well? Were there sort of any risks that they embraced, or if someone was planning on doing a copycat thing? Like, what would there be any risks there? Um, and sort of, is it going to have any impact on SEO performance? I'll just kind of throw that out there. I was um, what I was just going to say is, and also to maybe we'll put it in the show notes. But the uh, Ben Francis, the owner of Gymshark, um, I'm not sure. I think changed roles most recently but he uh, hosts a lot of vlogs around you know growing the company but they you'll i'll put this uh, youtube link in the show notes but he actually documented uh, the lead up to black uh, black friday oh yeah i've watched they, that one <laughs> yeah they speak towards their search manager at the time and basically it it was interesting to see him prioritize search as much as possible because he was speaking to i think search managers that focused on seo and ppc but what they saw within this time frame were companies that uh, so i don't think gymshark sell their products anywhere else but there were other websites popping up selling fake i think gymshark or looking to capitalize on their brand within the right. black friday period so they were both attacking that head end from a ppc perspective and making sure no other websites were able to do this but also from an organic perspective so again it's quite interesting from just uh, if you are interested in like online businesses or Know, websites in general but I think if you're specifically in SEO or PPC it's a really interesting watch of how much they value people searching for um, brand related terms around brand, uh, around Black Friday such as Jim Sharp Black Friday but also potentially non-branded spaces where they're able to advertise their products as well. So are there any implications for a website like Jim Sharp or any e-commerce mm. site kind of removing that e-commerce functionality? Mm. I guess it. I guess it builds up the hype in a way, doesn't it? So they, yeah, yeah, they sure. know that they're not able to attain that product. There. So, for example, it may be that if you, for example, see a Black Friday um, category page and you can see all the products are available, and then if you know that you can purchase them and there, you're you're probably going to think about it. You may go away, uh, come back a few hours later and purchase. Whereas actually seeing all of these. Um, these products on display and not being able to purchase it when it does go to that live functionality you're more you know you're really i guess it creates a lot of um, well, desire to acquire that product but i think from a gym shop perspective and it's also what we spoke about with pete is that they've clearly 
with all the success that they've had from a brand, they've managed to make sure that's grown the way with organic traffic as well. So making sure that it's all quite well integrated and that traffic, uh, the organic traffic has grown. I mean, I know like brand searches would have, you know, sat alongside this and been a major focus of growing the, you know, the graphs that, we're, that we are seeing. But I feel mm. like everything they've done within their marketing activity, they clearly um, capture it from an organic and a pay perspective within search mm. engines too. Yeah, I suppose it is really tricky for these big brands where they have such a good brand presence and everyone does know about their brands for or no gap for organic to do just as well as direct or brand traffic. Yeah, yeah. But Liv, do you think this is something that they could ever do again? Or do you think this is a one-time thing that they've done now and this year they're going to have to do something else? I mean, I think if they, if Gymshark were to do this again, they would they would it would be probably just as successful but I think they need to be innovative in the way that they are you know and trying so making sure that people are still excited about it yeah yeah and like even down to you know just may if they were to do a sale like this again where they where they did like a stunt and removed the e-commerce functionality they'd have to probably find a way to just do it better so I know that's not I know that's a really the, probably the vaguest recommendation that anyone could give but you know they're like you know just making sure that the server can handle all of the shoppers that are coming online if there were any questions that did arise or any you know speaking to your, their customer service team were there any like uh, significant questions or significant complaints that did arise you know incorporating that into the long tail content so you're addressing those as well what I would be interested in seeing is that, again, clearly the traffic is probably mostly in the most recent years has been delivered by the, the growth of their brands through like social media and what they've been doing with influencers. But it would be interesting to now see how they perform across non-branded terms. So, for example, mm. gym wear or you know, shorts, tank tops or anything like that and how they compete. Because I, I think they're now, just to the authority of the domain or the signals they've acquired all the content on the website now I think they're probably in a position or like I said they could be doing it already is actually ranking really well for people that you know may not be aware of Gymshark and they're able to capture these new audiences because they've built a brand and now they'll be a, now they have that authority behind them um, they're able to you know be a lot more competitive in the non-branded space of organic sense. It's like what you were saying, Ben, in the beginning of that um, article about finding new opportunities and stuff, because fair enough, Gymshark do do really well and they have their fan base and they've got a loyal um, base of consumers. But, you know, in times like this, where, you know, everyone's on lockdown, gyms are shut, their usual consumer probably isn't thinking, like their priority isn't at the moment buying a matching gym set. Whereas what they could probably be thinking about now is catering towards people that, you know, might not be really interested in the gym, but now that everyone's working out from home or trying to get, be like, gain some fitness at home, you know, you've got those people that are kind of entry level and, you know, catering for content for them. So it is really just about finding those like new opportunities and, you know, hopefully they're not just going to just stay trying to target their typical fan base of you know um, millennials that want to buy the same gym clothes as the influencers that they follow yeah, yeah things like yoga mats or like gym chart yoga mats and things like that would be a cool strategy in terms of yeah beginning workout kits for the home yeah definitely like, a digital like, merchandising 
and uh, one uh, one thing I just want to mention as well. I, mean, I know we we touched upon it, but um, as a general theme on the podcast, uh, companies doing it well. I know uh, what Gymshark has been advertising um, is actual. I know that uh, personal trainers would have had a decline in business most recently, but they've yeah. um, they've been reaching out to personal trainers to actually host. Um, webinar sessions on the Gymshark website, um, and oh, they're cool. going to pay them for that as well. So I thought that was a, a really good, um, you know, a really good effort from them, um, just to you know come off as like trying to help other people out within this in the scenario. It positions them really well as well, I think, because I yeah. think especially because they made their name for themselves through influencer marketing. You know, I think sometimes if you weren't a fan of theirs you'd think that they were a brand for the people that were like all gear, no idea. So like the people that would wear the really cool stuff to the gym, but maybe they went for the wrong reasons, like they were showing off. But by them doing a ta- like a stunt, well, maybe not a stunt, but, you know, re- targeting personal trainers in that respect, you know, when this is all over, they will be the ones that purchase their clothes, maybe purchase their equipment, use that at the gym, and then by them doing that, they've also now just got this new different vertical of thought leaders helping influence people that's a really, that's a really good good topic of conversation today um, i think we'll move on now but that was really good and um hopefully sort of people listening will have kind of seen ways that they can kind of apply some of that to other e-commerce sites they might be working on as well which is kind of what we want to get out of sections like this and um, to look at people who are trying something different or doing something really cool um, and see if there's anything we can learn from that for sort of our wider seo practices um, so we're now we're we're coming towards the end of the podcast um, with one final section to go. It is our people also ask section, um, where we've had a few questions from um, people in the uh, in the impression team who um, kind of sent us in some questions for Liv to uh, let us speak about some other different topics that we might not have covered before. Um, we've just got a couple here. Uh, one just kind of going back to uh, some of the algorithm stuff that Liv was talking about. Um, and then uh, I can see that Liv, uh, Liv is actively writing in the notes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I can see she's keen to address a couple of questions we didn't get to earlier as well. So um, we'll start with um, just a couple of Georgie's questions. So Georgie is one of the other SEO execs in the algorithm committee that Liv mentioned. Uh, she sent in a few, uh, which probably won't be able to get to all of them, but a couple that I think are quite interesting in there just to touch on uh, and also touch on some other themes that people sent in is do you have any algorithm predictions for the future? Or I suppose you could just kind of broaden that to kind of major changes in search. Let's say in the next sort of 12 months or so, is there anything you could predict uh, happening or changing based on what you've already seen so far? I mean, I think the first one uh, on, in I, sorry to go back to EAT, but like right. if we think about Google's main aim is that they want to present users with the correct information accurate information as quickly as possible what I can foresee happening within the next few years is one we're going to see a lot more things say for example with the coronavirus where they're always going to prioritize websites that are presenting users with accurate information that isn't going to hurt them so I don't know if you got that there was a white paper that they released I, I can't remember what year it was released, if it was like last year, but they had it, it was like the spread of like disinformation or what Google is doing to fight disinformation. I think that they're going to probably do a lot more stuff now to make sure that, fair enough, 
it doesn't have to be about EAT, but they're going to want to guarantee for queries where it's around where it could affect someone's health or it could affect their financial well-being that they're only serving websites that are authoritative figures and then in a similar sense if we go back to like google's mission statement about presenting users with like the most accurate information as quickly as possible i'm probably not saying it verbatim so sorry google (laughs) but (laughs) but um if we go back to that like you know as seos we're constantly seeing new SERPs results that they're rolling out, whether it be featured snippets or the flight aggregators or like the even quite recently in, in the in the US with like the university course aggregate, aggregators and things like yeah. that. We're constantly going to be just seeing new features where they are really cool for users and, you know, they would be really cool for SEOs in the sense that we can now optimise for something new. But at the end of the day, I think Google want to make sure that people are getting what they need from just the search. They're not really concerned about people clicking onto the website. So I think we're going to see a few more snazzy SERPs features like that. Yeah, I would agree. I I definitely think that new college SERPs one that they rolled out in the US is is one that we're going to see in the near future. Even if we're just touching on, like, say, um, the current state and, you know, how people are all... In either in lockdown or just social distancing, I really wouldn't be surprised if in the next few months, if you were to search like online food deliveries or grocery shopping online, if there would be an aggregator for like available slots mm, and things like that. Actually, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess they're, they're trying a few things now around coronavirus, particularly around the disinformation stuff that you mentioned. Um, and I think they're showing a lot of what they can do that they maybe hadn't rolled out before particularly around disinformation um it will be interesting to see if they spread that more widely because obviously fake news is something that google among other sites has come under increasing scrutiny for in the last couple of years yeah for sure i think i mean there's, there's so many questions we could go to but i think i'm gonna have to we'll, we'll go to these last questions that Liv's put in um from earlier in the doc and um, to make sure we get to them and can do them properly so the first one is, do you have any advice for someone looking to get into an entry-level SEO role in 2020? Um, in fact, actually, I think we should do them both together because they do. I think they are going to roll into one anyway. Um, so on top of that as well, with everything going on at the moment, the current climate and economic uncertainty, what can people who are looking for a role now do to strengthen their position when it all blows over? Yeah, for sure. Like, I think... Um you know, the usual thing about, you know, you have to get experience to get experience. Until, only until recently when I was on where the shoe was on the other foot and I was supporting with like graduate recruitment, did I realise how actually valid it was? Uh, yeah. Like, because, you know, it, if you're able to get any form of experience in a digital agency or even just like in the industry as a whole, it, it, it's just a lot more beneficial and it helps you stand out compared to other people. Because I remember, you know, even if we go all the way back to like my first interview with Chloe and Pete, being able to say, like acknowledge or like make them aware of the fact that I knew the difference between working in an agency or in-house or I knew what working in an agency was like, you know, I knew it would be fast, that things would yeah. change all the time, that you're not working just on one business, you're working for multiple so that's the first thing I would say, like, just, and, and I know it can be difficult, just try your hardest to get some form of experience. Don't be afraid to 
um, take favors from family or friends because I think that was yeah. one thing that I was conscious of at first. Like the first role that I got into at this PR agency, I actually found out through my sister, and I really wanted to be one of those people that you know made their way on their own or couldn't like let anyone like take credit for that. But I remember you know she said to me, she was like, "Oh, my friend Isabel, you know she works at this PR firm and they need a new assistant because she's been promoted." And I was like, "Yeah, all right then," and like. And just like swallowing your pride in that sense. But I completely understand now in this current climate that, you know, some businesses aren't hiring anymore or they put a pause on recruitment because of this economic uncertainty. So I think for that, I would say, like, make your own blog or make your own website. And it, I mean, uh, further than just, you know, setting up a WordPress and just letting that be it, you know, show, being able to show someone in an interview setting for an SEO role that, you could, you've got all of the plugins, you can show them that you have targeted the metadata, that you've taken into consideration things like um, site speed, things like that. Just showing them like that you are aware of things outside of just SEO is getting your uh, clients to the top of Google. Yeah, yeah. I think internet is so, hopefully, well, hopefully so accessible for most people now and that actually setting up a website is easier than ever that I think, yeah, definitely it would go a long way just to even create a website on something that you're interested in or just something randomly and then mm. actually trying to put, just testing things and seeing, experimenting because what can you lose? And then, yeah, bringing that to an interview, I think would automatically jump off the page and showcase, you know, something that you've gone away and you've actually done something or achieved something from just experimenting. And that's what a lot of SEO is, right? Yeah, definitely. And like, I think if you just follow a few people's blogs, like even the ones that we've mentioned here, or not to plug our own, but you know, if you look at the impression blog, and just like the blog that we have about the most useful Chrome plugins, I think anyone that has, especially a graduate in this climate that has a bit of spare time, would be able to set up a website about anything that they enjoyed, and then optimize it out of even just like a top level basis, just to be able to show it. And then also just being in like in not like knowledgeable about um, the search industry and updates and things like that. You know, the people that the the students that I've spoken to in the past year or so, like the ones that really stand out are the ones that were able to reference something that had happened in the industry, or just reference like a certain SERP result and things like that. And you know, even if they if they just check their phone like ten minutes before meeting us. You know, it still shows that they had the initiative to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think agree. just to end on that as well, there's, um, as Liv mentioned, with um, if you are a student, I guess you have a lot of downtime at the moment. There are a lot of websites with online courses that are running special discounts. Um, so some uh, are offering actually free courses or heavily discounted courses. So if, for example, you are learning an area and you're feeling stuck by what you know what only YouTube can supply. Hopefully you could go away and sign up to some web courses um, through these uh, these websites and, you know, learn something whilst you're stuck at home during this period, I guess. Yeah, we'll, we'll put some links in the show notes, actually, because there's loads and we could sort of start reeling them off now, but there's no way you'll remember them. Yeah. So we'll, we'll stick some in the show notes. We'll pull our ideas. Uh, Google has some courses which are the baseline for, every, like, for everything our staff have to do as well. Um, but then, yeah, loads of other companies are offering like free courses for a limited time, or just have good free offerings anyway. So, 
it's really as as Liv and Ed have said, it's really about kind of making yourself stand out. And I think being a bit more creative as well, just like thinking of what you can do to show your skills that other people might not be doing. Yeah, definitely. So as a as a final question for you, Liv, before we wrap up for the episode. Uh, how can people find you on social media and do you have any of your own resources or articles to mention before we finish? Yeah, so you'll find me on Twitter at SEO Livia May, all one word. And then you'll also find some of the blogs that I've written on the Impression site. The latest one that I've written is about how branding and SEO finally need to get along because, you know, sometimes you find yourself at a bit of a struggle. And then also every month, Georgie, Hugo and I will write a search industry update where we go over any algorithm changes or just any general Google updates within the past month. I know I'm, I know I'm biased, but I do highly recommend those updates they are really really good and you always deliver them to the company in our in our monthly seo updates that we have as well and they're really handy just for the department of impression so that is everything for this month's rank up podcast episode uh, we will be back next month uh, still remotely i imagine <laughs> with more with more on-page seo topics and debates uh, in the meantime we would really appreciate it if you could leave a review on the podcast app of your choice uh, honestly, everything that you can do helps us. Uh, any review that you leave helps us to gain visibility and move up in the charts. Uh, and it really does make a difference while we're in our first few episodes and just kind of get this off the ground. Um, and if you want to send in any future questions um, or, or sort of comments, questions for us to address in future episodes and with future guests, uh, or just to chat to us about SEO in general, uh, you can find me on Twitter at BenJGarry with two R's in Gary. And Ed is at EdJTW with two Ds in Ed. Um, we really have made it difficult with the spelling of our names. <laughs> um, we're different. You, yeah, no, we like to be different. We like to stand out. It means we're more likely to get the Twitter handles. If you like. <laughs> yeah. um, and if you can't wait a whole month for your next helping of digital marketing content, then please do check out uh, our colleague Jess Hawke's digital PR podcast, Outspeech, which is also kind of anywhere you will find podcasts. Um, and as Liv mentioned, we also want to plug the Impression blog over at impression.co.uk as well. Uh, so Liv, thank you very much for your time this month. Thanks for having me. It's been great having you on. Um, <laughs> and Ed and I will be back uh, in May with your next installment of On Page Conversation. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.